We, uh, you may be wondering why we sing these Christmas songs as we normally think them. Um, and again, that's just part of our insistence that the world has gotten its calendar wrong, that uh, you don't celebrate Christmas for all of December. You celebrate Christmas starting on Christmas Day. And then you get 12 days of feasting, of real Christmasing after that. And today is the start of a turn of a new season. This is Epiphany Sunday, uh, where we remember the, the day that Jesus was revealed as Lord to the Gentiles. The Magi came and um, Jesus was revealed in that, on that day, even in the, as a little child, to these people. These people who come from far off. They're foreigners, the Gentiles. And uh, you can see in that moment, in the story of the, the coming of the wise men, I was reading that in, in Matthew 2 today, this indication of Jesus' vocation. They come with the, this gold and frankincense, this rich kingly gift, recognizing who He is, but sort of tied up in that story is the hint of His ultimate vocation because they also bring myrrh, and myrrh is a burial perfume. And so you can see that the king is coming both to reign and to die at the same time already. Uh, somehow the, the scriptures point to that right at the beginning of Jesus' story. And you and I uh, are now the people who have stood on the other side of the great work of the great king and are also people who have come from far off and in fact testify that the light has come to us. So this is a great Sunday for us as Gentile people who recognize the great glory of the King who's come. Uh, I hope that you've had a, a great Christmas season. I was not here last week. Harrison preached for me, and, um, which I really appreciate. did a really good job. Uh, my one complaint is that he preached far quicker than me, and now I'm worried that people will come to expect that and hold me to a standard that I cannot meet. Um, but I was in Michigan with my family. Um, I, last Sunday, I was worshiping at my, my in-law's church, and they live in farm country in western Michigan, and wasn't really sure what to expect uh, at, at church. I think maybe I've been there once before, and it was, it's a pleasure for me to go be at a church and not be preaching and not be the one who's at all in charge of anything. And it was so encouraging to me. You know, the music is better here. Things look better here. It's like newer and cooler here. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But I didn't care about any of that because I was just with people who loved Jesus and loved one another. And that was so encouraging to me. I got sort of teared up even though the music was... Uh, anyway, um, those people love Jesus, and that shone brighter than anything else. That's where I came away from. It was such a pleasure for me to be there. Um, I got to take my son to the Spider-Man movie. I don't know if anybody's seen this. It's, uh, he's four. I don't know. He's maybe a little young for it, but there was like multiple Spider-Men in the movie, which was... Spider-Man's great. More, some is good, more is better, that principle. Um, <clears throat> and one of the spider people, he wore like a black Spider-Man outfit. My son thought that was awesome. He could disappear and stuff. And he explained to me that he would be the black Spider-Man. 
and that uh, if he was facing the bad guy, he would disappear behind the guy, and then he would pinch him right in the eyeball, in the, in the eye area. That's what he said, the eyeball in the eye area, and he would kill him. So I was like, I can't tell if this is a fathering win or loss at this point. But uh, I'm very glad to be home uh, back and getting into the routine of, of life here, being here with you all. Uh, I wanted to, this is connected to what I'm preaching on uh, this morning, but uh, we alluded to this at our congregational meeting in, in November, uh, but I wanted to make it plain, plain for our congregation that uh, this coming summer, uh, there's plans for me to go on sabbatical um, for, for three months. Because I've passed seven years as pastor here, um, and our denomination is really good about encouraging even small church pastors to, to take a, a break. And the session of our church, the elders have agreed to do that. I wanted to say it from the pulpit so that there was no one whispers that I was in trouble. Um, I'm not being disciplined. Um, this is also not a, a job hunting tour for me. That's not, that's not the purpose of what's going on. It's that I've been pastor for uh, over seven years now, and it's a good marker moment for me to stop and back off and to think and to pray. Um, we're still having church. This will still happen every week. The rest of our church is not, not going anywhere. Um, and uh, I was reading something by Eugene Peterson, and he was talking about the first time that he went on sabbatical from his church. And Eugene Peterson, you know, he wrote the message, and he's kind of a big deal. And uh, his elders were worried about him leaving for a few months. And uh, what the, he said the number one thing that they learned was that they didn't need him. And he told the story of they came back, and he and his elders were supposed to go to a, a conference or something and leave early in the morning from the church parking lot. And uh, he was visiting somebody in the hospital through the night, and he was late getting to the church. And by the time he got to the church, the elders just left because they realized after the sabbatical, we're fine. Like, we can do this. We can drive from A to B without the pastor. I think you're going to find the same thing, that uh, you're going to be fine and that you don't need me. Um, you'll, well, I'll miss you. Maybe you'll miss me. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's in the plan. That's in the works and um, we'll have more information about that as that comes. Um, but I wanted you to, to know that and make sure that wasn't, didn't feel hidden or anything. And as the reason that I'm doing that is connected to what I want to talk about today, which is about Sabbath. And as, because as I thought about our, our new year here in 2019 and what I wanted just to encourage our people with as you move into a new year, is that this thing, Sabbath, uh, is important and it's built into the life of the people of God. And what that word means, what, what is our expectation of what a, a modern Sabbath looks like. Um, so if you will, turn to Exodus 31, and then we'll be flipping over to the Gospel of Mark. Mark. 
Exodus 31.12, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall, not, shall, shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And then over in the Gospel of Mark, starting at the 23rd verse of chapter 2. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Lord, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there without, with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Here we have just two of the, the passages of Scripture that, that deal with the Sabbath. The Gospel of Matthew has a very similar version of this story. Um, and there's other sections of the New Testament that also deal somewhat with the Sabbath. But we have this idea that's given to Israel uh, as, as, a, as a signpost and a memorial, one of what God did to make the world. So if you read Genesis 1... He created, he made things on six different days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So they are to remember that, and as a blessing to them and a sign to the nations, that they are supposed to maintain this rhythm of working for six days, resting on the seventh. And it's important to just kind of stop and think about that for a second, and not from the context of our expectation of a work weekend. Um, the idea that you don't work every day wasn't a given. For the people of Israel's time and place, it wasn't assumed that you would stop working. If you work on a farm, there is stuff to be done every day. If you have cows, they need to be milked every day, or they will be in pain and ultimately can get sick and die. And for an agrarian society, for the, the people that lived around Israel, they were not in the habit of any kind of weekend. You work, and you work, and you work, because life is hard. 
and the, the measure of the workday is measured by when the sun comes up and when it goes down, not when you feel like you could use a break. In the kind of low-scale economy that Israel was birthed in, that idea was foreign. And so it was a radical thing for a whole nation of people to say, once a week, we're not working. Imagine that if you are a, a foreigner coming into Israel, and all of a sudden you wake up one day in your travels and you realize, nobody's doing anything. It's deadly quiet out here. You're, you're traveling through the land and nobody is outside their house. If they are, it's like within minimal walking distance and they are doing nothing. There's laws to, to regulate the nothingness of the nothing. It was extraordinary. And the people were meant to think that Israel was weird. They were meant to, to see Israel and say, boy, that's a really strange people. What is going on there? So the Sabbath becomes one of one of the markers of what it means to be an Israelite. The other was the way they ate and dressed, very different, never, you know, having bacon sandwiches or anything like that. There are these things that marked Israel as this strange people, and as you could hear in Exodus 31, it's deadly serious. This wasn't God saying like, you know, here's a recommendation for you. Um, take it or leave it, whether you feel like it this week or not. He says, if you don't obey the Sabbath, you die. Full stop. That is it. Obey the Sabbath. The Sabbath is in the top ten. I mean, it's in the same list. It's before don't murder. The Sabbath is a big deal for Israelites. And then you have Jesus coming onto the scene. And you, you know the, the people are gathered around, his enemies, the Pharisees are gathered around, waiting him, for him to make any and all kinds of mistakes. So then he, when he sees his, they see his disciples doing what appears to be a version of work, which would have been just pulling grain heads off the wheat and rubbing them together and eating the, the grains, which, by the way, they were allowed to do. It wasn't stealing. This was something that was given as a right to traveling people. But it was the Sabbath day. They were like, nah, rule-breaking, cannot do that. You're violating the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is, is tied up in both in what he says in that moment and by the story that follows. And he illuminates the nature of the Sabbath in a very specific and particular and special way that for us, for Christians, totally alters how we think about and talk about Sabbath. Now, maybe you've not thought about this issue before as a, as a Christian. It's a fairly contentious one. The church has tried to figure out what exactly does this mean, because if you don't know, today is Sunday. Um, maybe you've been caught up in holiday stuff and forgot, but today is Sunday. The Sabbath is not on Sunday. When Israel had their Sabbath, it was on Saturday. Because the first day of the week was Sunday, and then they would, at, Sunday of what, at sundown of what we would say is Friday, they thought that the day starts when the sun goes down, which is a whole different thing. The sundown of Friday started Sabbath, which ended at sundown on Saturday. And now, 
Christians everywhere, we worship on Sunday. Have you ever thought about how that happened? Have we just sort of said, you know, Sabbath is not important, doesn't count for us? What very quickly happened for Christians is that they said, Sabbath is re-understood in the light of the story of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Now for us, Sabbath is tied forever to Jesus. So we worship on Sunday and not Saturday. But already things are changing within the early church of their understanding of what Sabbath should be. And this sort of shifting sand of of our understanding of what this means has left many people with no understanding at all of what God might want, expect, demand, require of them on a Sabbath day. What does that look like for us now? And this is what I want to talk about because I I think that, that Jesus here illustrates the central purpose and gift of the Sabbath. What does the story that he is the center figure in tell us? Jesus says, first of all, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who claims the the authorship of the ruling over Sabbath. So in Jesus doing that, he's saying something pretty profound and something that would certainly get under the skin of his opponents because there's only one Lord of the Sabbath. It is the one who gave the Sabbath. So Jesus is very clearly making a claim about his status as Israel's God. So Jesus right away is establishing himself as the God who gives the Sabbath and is therefore in charge of the Sabbath. But what does he do? He says that the the disciples are not wrong to eat grain, just as David was not wrong to go into the temple and eat what otherwise was forbidden. He's referencing a story of, of David being on the run and going in to the, to the worshiping, uh, to the tabernacle and taking the, the bread that was not meant to be eaten by anybody but priests and feeding himself and his men. And Jesus is saying, Sabbath is meant to feed people. The way he says it is, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. There is, Sabbath is not a taskmaster for the people of God. Sabbath is a gift to the people of God to feed them. And then the very next story illustrates it further, that there is this man who's crippled, and Jesus can heal him. And Jesus wants to heal him. And ultimately, Jesus does heal him. And the Pharisees who are gathered there are saying, you can't heal him. Because that's work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. What does Jesus say? The Sabbath is basically meant for healing. That's the purpose of Sabbath, is feeding and healing gifts to the people of God. And this is a a shifting and altering of their understanding of what the Sabbath is. So should it be for us, this corrective view of what we are meant to do and receive on Sabbath. You and I need a rhythm of life where we have a day to be reminded that we are not God 
and that God provides for us all that we need. That is a gift to you and I. And that gift is lasting. You may look at the Old Testament and say, well, I, you know, I, I wear mixed blend shirts and I, I do eat bacon cheeseburgers. And so the Sabbath is like one of those that I can just sort of, that was a long time ago kind of thing. And while I, I think that Jesus does very clearly reinterpret the Sabbath and change some things about the way we understand the Sabbath, he does not go in there and say, you know what? You don't really need it. Instead, he says the opposite. You do need it. And it's a gift to you. Our, our culture, our society, we pride ourselves as Americans on working. I, I was not aware of this to, the, to the, an appropriate degree until I lived outside of the U.S. When I was living in South Africa, they said, Americans work all the time. You guys are crazy. They, they, these people go on vacation for literally months at a time. Not just South Africans. That, I was like, maybe it's just these people. It's not just those people. It's people like all over the place go on vacation for months at a time. And when I said, well, like, maybe, maybe you have two weeks of vacation at normal jobs. Maybe they're paid vacation days. They were like, two weeks? That's nothing. You start at a month with most places and you work up and you can bank it some years and then just go on vacation for like six months and save your job and come back to it. I was like, that is ridiculous. What is wrong with you people? That cannot be allowed. But it turns out Americans work, I think, slightly less than the Japanese us too. It's us too at the top of the list of people who are working all the time. So in our culture, our belief is that you should be busy and at work always. And our country has kind of tied up its identity in this. We kind of root it to this, what we call the Protestant work ethic. That if you work hard, God will reward your labors and you can advance yourself, bootstraps to riches, that whole thing. That's part of the American identity. And so we live in a place, in a world, the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in tells us you are most yourself, you are doing the best when you are doing the most. And Scripture is going to come in and tell you a different story. Because from the very beginning, the story is that people were made for something else. Not that work is bad, but work is not first about who you are. Man was made on day six in the story of creation in Genesis 1. The very first day of mankind in Genesis 1 is Sabbath. The very first full day that they have, they wake up and God says, we're going to do nothing. Now, did God say that because he was tired? Like, just created the universe for six days. I could use a break. No. God has infinite wells of power. It did not exhaust him or tire him in the least to make everything out of nothing. He wasn't exhausted in the slightest. 
But for his creation, he rested so that they might rest. And from there, they are commissioned to good work, to work the garden of God's good creation, to extend it, but then again to come and rest. The message that people, human beings, were always meant to hear is that God has done everything that is necessary. You are not necessary beings. You rely on the only necessary being, which is God. You are what we would call contingent. You are leaning on somebody else's power at all times. And you know what? You and I are good at forgetting that. You and I are good at buying into the belief that because we work hard, we are better people. And Sabbath is meant to pull the rug out from that false ideology so that you and I would be reminded you were made for rest because God has done all the work. That is a gift to you and I. Now, How we understand that, that giftedness, that Sabbath, is up for, for debating. Christians have, have fought for ages of how much are you allowed to rest and what are you allowed to do on the Sabbath. You know, our own, our, we're a Presbyterian church. Our doctrine is contained in the Westminster Confession. There's a chapter in the Westminster Confession on the Sabbath that talks in several paragraphs of what the Sabbath is for. And at the end, it says the Sabbath is for worship. Nothing can be done on that day apart from worship, including prohibiting recreation. And there's a lot of us who would say, well, I, not even recreation? Like, this is our system of doctrine. I'm telling you, our own people are saying, we can't even have recreation? So people, Christians, have gone back and forth. How much, how, where can we sort of push the lines here? And again, what I would say is we're asking the wrong kinds of questions. We are then at that point starting to say, where is the Sabbath our taskmaster and how can we get away with doing the minimal amount of obedience to sort of correctly fall in line instead of asking, what might God be giving to me in the Sabbath? Now, I think that means real and practical things. So I'll just tell you my own story in the past year. A year ago... You know that I, um, I teach it at Montreat. I teach on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Those are where my classes are. They asked me to pick up a class teaching that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That meant, and I said yes, because there's only one class, but it meant I was teaching Monday through Friday. Saturdays, I'm a father. I work on Saturdays. I mean, I go into the office, but I have work to do. I have to mow the lawn. I go grocery shopping. I coach my kids' soccer team. At the end of the day, I feel like I worked. I work on Saturdays. If you haven't noticed, I work on Sundays too. This is my job. This is what I'm doing on Sundays. So for, for a year ago, for all of that semester, from January to May, I worked Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for five or six months. By the time I got to the end of the semester in May, 
I was dead. I had, I had nothing left. I, I have never been so exhausted in my life. It's not because I was plowing fields or something. I'm sure there's plenty of days that people saw me and said, is that dude working at all? But every day, I was grinding through something. And what I had done is I had neglected. I had neglected to believe that I, too, am human. That I have boundaries to who I am as a created being. That I have to stop. And so what I I said is, I cannot do this ever again. I have to have a day where I really don't do anything. And if that means I have to leave the house when my kids get home from school, so be it. I have to stop working once a week. And ever since I've done that, in the summer of last year, I've started to come back. My energy levels are, are back up. I am happier as a person. And honestly, I feel like I'm more productive in the six days that I am working. What I would say to you is, I'm not going to present the Sabbath to you as a taskmaster to count the steps that you've walked or the quantity of pounds that you have lifted to make sure you have not worked enough. What I am saying is, God gifts you boundaries to your being. And if you do not respect them, you will at some point flame out and die. And God wants you to live What God has for you in the Sabbath is life to feed you, to feed your soul, and to give you healing. Now, not all of us have the ability to have Sabbath days where other people do. I understand that. And I I don't think that, that if you have to work on a Sunday, that God is ready to strike you down. What I will tell you is that if you don't find an actual day to take a break, you will get struck down. You will find an end to yourself. So if if you are in a a place where you absolutely cannot find this day or that day to have your Sabbath, and you are working seven days a week because, well, I can't do it on Saturday, I can't do it on Sunday, if it needs to be Tuesday, which it's Tuesday for me, then make it Tuesday. Don't work. I understand that there's people's bills are tied up in that. I understand that there's anxiety that might be tied up in that. I'm just asking you to just as a practice of a spiritual discipline, try it. I do believe there is a way that God might care for you and provide for you in the other six days and make you a better worker even in the other six days if you would actually and truly set aside a day. Now, for me, one of the ways that I'm, I'm fed, the way that I get healing in a lot of ways, is I do recreate. I have fun on the Sabbath, and I don't feel bad about it. Contra my Puritan brothers who wrote the Westminster Confession. I don't think that it is wrong to recreate and have fun on the Sabbath and that 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 itself is not worshipful. 
But I would challenge you in your recreation and your fun having on your Sabbath day to stop in gratitude and say, thank God, thank you for providing for me a means to recreate, recreate, to have fun, to be fed in my soul, to delight in the healing of God for the nations, even in the mundane silliness of play. Even our play should be worshipful. Because worship is the other portion of this equation. You are not meant to just rest and just stop on Sabbath. You are meant to worship. Sabbath was meant for rest and worship. You and I were meant as beings to worship God. And to worship God together. This is, I think, an often misunderstood point in, in our culture. I, I see all the time, or hear all the time, people saying, oh man, hiking is my church, or, or um, kayaking is my church, or bowling is my church. Is, I love it, I feel connected to God. No, it's not. That's a wonderful thing to do that God has given you. It is not your church. How do I know that? Because if somebody said, hey, I'm looking for a church, and you said, come to the woods with me, they'd say, that's not what I'm looking for. Because that's not church. And I'm not saying, again, our tendency is to hear the law of God and say, here's a taskmaster again. God is, I better, I better do this to meet the bar. No, no, no. Remember, Sabbath was made for you. Worship together with the people of God is for you. It is not just what you ought to do. It is for you because it is good for you because it is what you were made for. And, and going off and, and hiking by yourself or with some friends or going camping or doing this or that, those are wonderful good gifts of God and they are not church. And it is important to make that very clear distinction. You know, we live in a culture that emphasizes, in the church I'm talking about, God has moved when I feel something inside of me. It is wonderful when you feel something inside of you and God has done something. That's a great thing. But for many people outside of our culture, the doing of the thing, whether you feel it or not, is worship. I don't, I don't go to church to worship. Going to church is worship. We are embedded in a culture that tells you the most important thing that is what you feel inside of you. And what you feel inside of you is an important and wonderful thing. God made you that way. But it is not all that you are. And we worship collectively together because that is our destiny. When the church gathers together every week and worships together, whether we say it all the time or not, whether we even think about it all the time, we are together saying to the world, this is where we will be forever. It is not, it is not a bad thing. It is not a drudgery kind of thing. It is not an obedience to law. This is not why God loves us because we come and worship. We're saying this is what we will do forever. This is what God made us for. And if 
anything else happens today, our day of rest, we will worship together. And I'm not saying that, that if you have to miss church one day, again, God is not standing there with His lightning bolts and striking you down. I'm not saying it is never appropriate to miss church. Like, look, if you have a concussion on Saturday or something, you should not be at church, all right? You, because you'll throw up or, or something like Your head will hurt very badly. And if you have been throwing up on Saturday, please, I'm, I have four kids, I do not want to see you on Sunday. But I don't want that evil in my house, okay? Keep that away. I'm not saying that you can never miss church. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is, it is far easier to justify saying, you know what, today, I think the Lord would be more delighted if I went for a hike by myself. Sometimes that may be what God wants. I think your assumption should be maybe God wants me to go on that hike after I go to church. Because I need to be reminded that no matter how I feel right now, I am not just me by myself forever and ever. But I am me, part of us. And I'm going to walk in that building and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to hate it and I'm going to leave as quickly as possible. But I'm going to be there so that I'm reminded I am not me by myself. And sometimes for many of us, that's all Sabbath worship will be. You are barely gutting through this thing. And what I would tell you is, that's okay. It doesn't mean that your, your worship is not real. It doesn't mean that Sabbath is not working for you. It actually means that Sabbath is working. It's working on you. Is rubbing against the grains of your soul and shaping you and sanding you down into the person that you were meant to be, a worshiper of God. Sabbath was meant for rest and for worship because God loves you. He delights in you and He wants you to remember that part of being human is delighting in Him. This is what you were made for, forever and ever. To be a person who operates out of delight in the pleasures of God. The Sabbath is not a weight on you, it is a gift to you. For some of you who are in here, that means you need to actually take it seriously and change some things in your life, in your week, and actually observe a Sabbath that you've not done in quite a long time. And I would encourage you to do that. Some of you, Sabbath has, has not been a gift. It's been a taskmaster. And worship itself feels like a thing you want to get away from. And what I would say to you is that God is this morning calling you to remember this grand story that you've been caught up in. And then if, if this has become a drudgery, a thing that you try to opt out of all the time, this, this corporate worship as much as you can, God is not trying to guilt you into getting your rear end in this seat. He is trying to pull you into remembering what He made you for. Because He loves you. Ultimately, this day, Sabbath, is about the Lord of the Sabbath.
The same thing that the wise men recognized in that day in Matthew 2 is what we are remembering every worship day together. That Jesus actually is the Lord. Not only is He the Lord of the Sabbath, He Himself is our Sabbath. Jesus can stand there in front of you and say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And He can tell you that if you are weary, bone dry, come find your rest in Me. The rest that God meant for Israel has not been revoked or changed because we've moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now the Sabbath of God, the rest of God, has been located firmly and entirely in the person of Jesus. All the work, all the heavy lifting has been done in Him. And you are invited to remember every Sabbath day that same truth seen most clearly. You are not necessary. You are not required in partnership with God. This is not a 50-50 proposition in the world and God really needs you to come through with your side of things. You are called every Sabbath day to remember that God Himself has done all the work in Jesus Christ And He has made Himself for you a Sabbath forever. He has done all the work. And in Him you can find eternal rest. Sabbath is what our lives will look like into the ages. Forever and ever. Every Sabbath day, this Sabbath day, be reminded that God has presented Himself to you. The One who wills and works and will complete the work who has made you for Himself to delight in all that He has done. And in so doing, our strange rhythm of resting in worship will say to the world that Jesus is great. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And He will finish His work forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank You that you have, you have compelled us, you have commanded us, you have given us the Sabbath. That we might be reminded how small we are and how big you are. Father, we confess to you the, the way that we have idolized our busyness, the way that we have prioritized our obligations, the way that we have worshipped our debts and cravings. Every day of the week we often... Make much of anything but You. God, I pray that we would this morning be corrected into seeing that You are the Creator God who has given us good gifts. I pray, God, that You would beckon us again this morning and that we would be moved by the Holy Spirit to respond. It is a delightful thing to hear the Word of the Lord and to obey. Help us to worship and rest, to recreate, to eat, and to play, and delight in you that you have given us all these good gifts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.